If you're an entrepreneur, you know what it means to take personal and financial risks, create jobs that support your community, and devote most of your time to your business. But do you know how to plan for a successful exit from your business? Do you know who should be involved in creating your succession or transition plan and the steps along the way? Welcome to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman from Legacy Business Advisors. The podcast theme is inspired by critically acclaimed business author, Bo Burlingham, author of Finish Big, how great entrepreneurs exit their companies on top. In this podcast, you'll hear success stories of exit plans done right and pick up practical tips based on years of legacy business advisors' expertise and knowledge about the largest and most important financial transaction of your life. Now, on to the show. Good day. This is Mark Dorman, your host of the Finish Big Podcast. And today I am uh, joined by one of my very, very good professional friends and, uh, and an avid, avid golfer. We'll talk about that as well. But one of the top professional women in the beautiful state of Arizona, Diane T. Thomas, who is the president and designated broker of Premier Sales Incorporated. As president of Premier Sales, which is a 36-year-old business brokerage firm in Arizona, Diane manages business sales, transactions, and engagements with private and family-held companies with revenues between two and $45 million. So right in our wheelhouse here. Together with her value-created, creation-affiliated company, Legacy Advisors Arizona, uh, a client-centric approach is developed. This includes value enhancement, business continuity and succession planning, business exit strategies to achieve stakeholder objectives. By designing a strategy first, Diane and her team are then aligned with their clients on goals, objectives, and priorities. Many times, the value enhancement team works closely with the client to move the needle on business value. Then when the timing is right, and with Diane's guidance, Premier's transactional team takes the business to market. The outcomes are remarkable. With a 75, yes, that's correct, 75% success ratio, which is more than two times above the industry average of 30% and value improvement of millions of dollars. So, Diane Thomas, welcome to Finish Big, the podcast. Thank you very much, Mark. Very happy to be here. Yeah, great. Great to have you. Great to have you. So, let's just dig right in. Uh, looking over your bio, you and I have become fast friends over the years, but how long have you specifically been with Premier Sales? And let's walk us through kind of your 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 resume of accomplishments uh, when you came out of school, so to speak. Oh wow! Okay, we're going to go back a long ways because I'm <laughs> old. So I uh, bought Premier Sales 21 years ago, and it was an established firm, and I bought it because it had an excellent reputation and. Generally speaking, in the business brokerage arena, they don't necessarily have a great reputation. And when I came to the industry, I said there is a huge opportunity to provide a level of professionalism and guidance that is not really normally available to lower middle market businesses. Um, so that's really what the objective was in buying and acquiring and managing career sales to date. So, prior uh, yeah, prior to that. Prior to that, um, so I'm going to go back a long way. So I'm a bit of a I'm a numbers person. I'm a nerd. At heart, I'm a nerd. I'm an analyst. So my education is quantitative analysis and finance. Mm -hmm. And um, so I look at demographics. I look at statistics. I look at metrics. And I, I'm great at interpreting trends. Um, so when you go way back, back in the 80s, I thought I wanted to work on Wall Street. 
So I did a short stint in uh, Norway and I was trading foreign currency futures and options for the Bergen Bank of Norway. Wow. And I was doing this, you got to remember, I was doing this in the summer of 1987. And we kept saying the US dollar was overvalued and it was going to drop. And, you know, in that environment, you are sitting in front of a computer screen that's yellow type and you're watching the fluctuation of the market. And I'm sitting there with huge graph paper charting the fluctuation, kept saying the value is going to drop. You take positions, minimum positions of $5 million and you lose your, you know what, huh. you know, in a very short period of time, it's very stressful. And I looked around the room, everyone's a chain smoker, drinks like a fish after hours. And I thought, you know what, if I continue to do this, I'm going to drop dead in my seat at 30. So I left and this, I left in, I think, September of 87. And then, you know, in October of 87, oh the market crashed. So it was um, a bit harrowing to see it actually unfold after yeah. the fact, but I was grateful I was not in it. Yeah. So uh, from what I understand about, uh, let's just call financial uh, or business intermediaries uh, in the Midwest here, we have uh, investment banking firms, uh, the rules of, of the road, so to speak, in Arizona, I believe are different than Ohio. But what does it take to become a top flight business broker in the state of Arizona? And for that matter, out west, because I know you do business in Nevada and California as well. I would say the strong, okay, you're talking about my opinion of what it takes. Number one, integrity. You're only as good as your last deal. It's about achieving results that's in the best interest of the client. And the last thing I'd say is having a really good capability of understanding financial financials. You'd be amazed how many um, professionals um, can't read a financial statement. And that's to the detriment of the client, sure. largely because it is the language of all the transactions. So, yeah. But I mean, but from a, you mentioned that, you know, so in the past, business brokers haven't had always the, the best of repu reputations nationally. Uh, in, in, in some states, uh, the compliance rules are you have to have a real estate license. Some you have to have some licensures, maybe some accreditation. Uh, yeah. But you, you're, I mean, you're definitely a cut above. You're working deals up to, you know, the 40, 45, 50 million, I'm sure even higher over the years. Uh, you're kind of playing in that really that lower end of the middle market where you've got a higher level of sophistication, but maybe just flying under the radar of some of the larger investment banking firms. Is that fair? That's fair. The investment bankers are licensed, security licensed, and they are governed by the SEC. And so they have a different metric. Their cost structure is completely different, and they do have fees that are charged differently. And I would say if you have a business that's $50 million in revenue and above, that is a great resource for you. Um, that is an appropriate one. That's why we kind of cut it off at 45 million. Um, construction companies will get up to 40, 50 million dollars and they will still fit, they will be fine in the uh, business brokerage, business intermediary arena. But once they get over about 50 million dollars, that's what I'm going to say, they really should switch gears and go to the uh, investment bank banking firms. Um, the services that they provide are quite extraordinary. and but they do also charge fees for that. So the business brokerage arena, the distinction there is that generally speaking, it is a no fee until success. So it is basically the intermediary broker is looking at the scenario and saying, okay, do we believe we can be successful with this transaction and achieve the goals of the client? And so, you know, that's a completely different scenario. So it's a, to me, I like that game because it's a win-win. 
Yeah, and, and, and your model is different in that, uh, and I don't want to jump ahead, but your work with uh, our mutual good friend Joe Scheid and Legacy Advisors Arizona, you're partnering pre-sale or pre-transaction to help really build value, get a business owner, his or her business up to snuff, so to speak, so they can maximize value upon exit. Walk us through what that process looks like, and maybe I'd like to also just explore a couple of success stories along the way. Okay, so I'm going to throw out some statistics. So the first thing is that what we find here in Arizona, nine out of 10 business owners are not positioned to exit their business at maximum value or even have a successful transaction. So what that tells you is 90%. that 90%. And national statistics are 25 to 30% of business owners who put their businesses on the market actually sell and close successfully. That's a very low percentage of success. And I believe a lot of it can be mitigated by doing work ahead of time. And so it started out as um, friendly conversation. You know, when you sit down with a business owner who's worked 40 years at this business and you explain the value of their company and they look at you and they say, that's it. Mm. That's all. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, and I've so, had those. Those are oh, that's they're really, tough. They're and very so, difficult. Yeah. You know, it left me with, no, let me show you what you can do. These are some strategies that won't take a lot of time and money that you can recoup within a year that you can deploy and we can move the needle on value. And so that's really where we started. And unfortunately, if you don't charge for it or you don't hold people to account, nothing happens sometimes. So what I found is even though you gave them great suggestions and ideas and said, hey, come back in a quarter, let's see where you are very few took advantage of that opportunity. Um, and so when I finally found Joe, I had someone who was equally vested and interested in seeing business owners achieve the, the, the results that they wanted after all those years of hard work. Because in the value enhancement strategies, it's not as big of a payday as a transaction. So the, the folks who like to do transactions, generally speaking, are not interested in doing the consultative work, which is how do we improve your value? Um, that will occur at the investment banker level, but not really in the lower middle market. So that's when we said, okay, this is something that needs to happen. And when you look at the demographics nationally, so I'm going right back to some, some other things. Probably about 10 years ago, I was looking at a transaction and it, finishing a year out and we had a, a miserable failure of a year. This is 2013. I looked back and say, what happened? And we had these transactions all lined up and two weeks before closing, every single buyer wanted to renegotiate the terms, unjustified. There wasn't a change in the business. There wasn't a change in anything. Um, and I thought, gosh, I really suck. I don't really understand buyers today. So I decided at the end of the year, I called every banker I knew and asked them how their year was what happened in the last year. And all of them had the same story, which was incredibly interesting. They all said, it should have been a good year. However, right before closing, all of the deals fell apart. The buyer wanted to change the terms because they said the risk was too much for them, which sent me into research and looking at the age range of these buyers. And what I started to identify was these were millennials and which then pursued with, okay, what we have going on is, Baby boomers are the most prolific creators of privately held companies in our nation's history. They are aging out, and over time, they're going to need to exit their businesses. And who are next in line to inherit these businesses or take them over? 
Well, generation X and Y are much smaller in population. They have the same value set as the, as the baby boomers. But then we had the millennials, very different set of values, different risk tolerances. And what I was looking at is we're going to have a problem if we don't have business owners position themselves to exit and be the best opportunity in their sector. Yeah. I mean, so just let me just repeat that just so our audience is clear. And our guest today is Diane Thomas with Premier Sales in Arizona. Uh you're saying nine out of 10 businesses are poor or lack any preparedness at all. And 20% of those that go on the market even transact. Is that fair? Correct. Okay. So, and I, we know this, so this is a question that I, I know the answer to, but just allow me for a minute. I mean, the other issue is the Gen X, Gen Y, not only is it a smaller number demographically, but then you get down to the millennials and there is a, a massive lack of capital, right? Of people, right. their ability to buy businesses and I think they're also looking at their parents, these boomers, and going, why do I want to work that hard for some of these lifestyle businesses? So I imagine your coaching practice has gotten quite busy. And, 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 and talk to us about some of the success stories you have. I mean, when you look back over, let's say, the last five years, which you know, is 2018, you know, pre-COVID, uh, what kind of businesses did you partner with without getting any, you know, we don't want any details, confidential sure. details or anything like that, but just who did you partner with? What was the process? What was the impact and how are they doing today? Okay. Um, what's great is one of my favorite stories is one that was technology based specifically in the medical arena. And it was a subscription type base of business. So it's a really great business model. However, it had terrific customers, like Fortune 500 customers, yet there wasn't a lot of profit. And so when I looked at the numbers at the very beginning, I said- There wasn't was a lot of profit? None, $20,000 wow. to the bottom line. Mm. Not enough to make a difference. No. And the thought process of the owner was, well, they're gonna buy my technology. And I said, that has some value and it's great, but the market hasn't clearly indicated that the value of your service is worth enough to generate a profit. Therefore, you have great technology, but you haven't demonstrated the market's willing to pay for it. So we went on a, a process of, it took us about three and a half, four years. What we said is, look, number one, I don't think there's anything on the market that resembles what you do. So you own the market. We need to increase prices and also put in place long-term contracts. Those two things alone will make a huge difference on value. So over the course of three and a half years, we took it from $20,000 net profit to about $700,000 net profit. As we were looking at the projections for the next year, I knew we were going to get close to a million. We're going to be in the $900,000 range. I said, this is the time to go to market. The market was peaking in that sector. So we went to market. Inside of nine months, we had it under contract, sold, completed $5 million in cash, all cash, an opportunity to roll over some equity into the forward going company. And, and that was a phenomenal opportunity because I was looking at their, their overall company and what they had been able to do. It was going to be an absolute win if she were to able to roll over some equity. Um, and she did. Uh, then also in a, a consultant agreement for, they wanted to retain her for as long as she was willing to stay on. Mm. And she left it only for six months. A company and that was years. doing twenty twenty thousand dollars in, in net operating profit, you turned to seven, nine hundred thousand or thereabouts, sold for five million cash, 
plus an equity swap, plus a contract for future employment. You had to be a pretty happy customer, huh? Very happy. Travels, retired, young retiree, phenomenal. Some other ones that uh, we've been able to work with, I'm trying to think here. We had a company who came in and the problem was uh, their business model is a great business model from the standpoint of it's a, a requirement. So it has to do with licensing in the state of Arizona. And they had some agreements to have to provide this service as a third party. And their current client base, and this is a different angle, um, their client base was commercial based. And so they would have AR. So let me give you some numbers. Their net profit was 600,000 to the bottom line, but their working capital number was 600,000. That's a one-to-one ratio. So from a transactional standpoint, that has a lesser value because that means you have to work on an entire year to replace that working capital if you don't grow. Mm -hmm. So you always want to have your working capital number lower than what your net profit is. And that gives you some capacity for much more available cash flow. Um, So they had a one-to-one ratio, $600,000 to the bottom line, $600,000 of working capital. And we're looking at this. I said, you know, we need to get that number down. How about you start offering the service more to the public? So don't have as many commercial accounts. And I don't usually suggest going to uh, direct to consumer, but in this particular instance, it made a lot of sense because the market was much broader. You can grow a lot faster and you had instant cash. Inside of a year, that whole thing flipped. Their profit went to $1.2 million and their working capital dropped to 200,000. That's a huge difference. And that one sold for all cash in the four and a half million back in the ways, in the days. And that was a phenomenal scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So something, something, just focusing on an issue. Well, I think that's what's great about you is we've gotten to know each other. You're 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 more than just a you know kind of massage the financial statements and and it's more strategy. Hey, let's work on your business model. Let's talk about objectives and let's really take some time and do it right and 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 multi you know get a high much higher multiple. Let's talk about valuations. I just had a previous guest on the show, Dr. Brant Hammer from the West uh, University of West Virginia. Interest rates go up, valuations go down. That's kind of a common theme. Would you agree with that in your marketplace? Have you seen that with the interest Absolutely. rate? Absolutely. Okay. And, and, Absolutely. And, by, and, and by what by what measure? Okay. To give you an, an idea, today, if someone were to buy a business and utilize an SBA loan, Small Business Administration loan, that's guaranteed by the government, the interest rate is variable, 10-year term at 11 and a quarter percent. Oh, my. That's ugly. That's so close to being credit card. Mm-hmm. Um, and so very few buyers are interested what that has done is we knew with the interest rates going up, and I'll give you an idea, the peak of the market for transactions were, was in 2021, interest rates were low. And the expectation of where the market was going to be going was on the uptick. When interest rates started to hit, um, what we saw was a pullback in the market. We started people say who were under an, a letter of intent, hit the pause button, let's see how the market responds to this. After several months, they said, okay, nothing's changed. They moved forward and closed. However, what we saw in 2020, the end of 22 and beginning of 23 was very few aggressive buyers to the market. So in the lower, lower middle market, anything, any business valued at under $2 million in value, asking price, we, we saw there's not going to be a whole lot of traction. So 
our portfolio today is on the upper end because we can attract. Yeah, I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot of potential buyers out there willing to chase those deals, and the reason being, what they're too risky, they're too lifestyle. I mean, there's just better deals out there. What it is 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 a function of the cost of capital. You have to factor in when you invest money. What's your cost of capital? What's my return? Is it worth the time and money? And the numbers just don't work. Mm-hmm. You know, you start getting to a larger, what we call cash flow number or e- adjusted EBITDA, you know, number. Now we have more to work with and the buyers are different and their their cost of capital is lower. And in those scenarios, we are seeing activity, but we are not seeing the high multiples still because they still have to factor in the risk-free rate when they figure yeah. out what the return needs to be. But even, you know, what, what I heard you just say there, Diane, is that a, a boutique firm like yours uh, in the Southwest, you're even going up market in the lower end and kind of, again, creating that void in the under $2 million valuation, under $3 million. And it seems like, you know, the line in the sand has always been drawn to greater valuations because it just takes as much work there to get a similar result, Correct. It actually is a little less work <laughs> a lot sometimes less work. Because, right. of, because their financials, generally speaking, are in order. You know, uh, statistics have shown, you know, that if you have a business valued under 500000 the number one reason why it fails to close is the financials. But I can say this, we move with the market, but we are telling clients that we've been working with this, this is not the year to go to market. Mm-hmm. We are looking at 2024 being potentially the year because we do anticipate some interest rate tra- uh, cuts. Yeah, interesting. So I walk into your office uh, in Phoenix and I say, hey, I've got a nice business here. Uh, I've heard really good things about you. Walk me through the premier sales process to include the value acceleration or value maximization. What does that whole kind of kit and caboodle look like? The first part is we sign a non-disclosure confidentiality agreement so that every information you provide to us is confidential. And, and the reason for that is we ask for a lot of information that is just is private. And the reason we do that is we will analyze your business. There is no cost for this because we have to understand what makes your business tick. What do we think we can make a difference? And what is the current baseline value today? And do we think that we can improve over a period of time that's a reasonable period of time and the investment of time and money is worthwhile? And in some cases, I will tell you, Mark, we come back and we say, we don't think there's a whole lot that can be done here. Our recommendation is that you do a few little tweaks here and there. And at the end of the day, reinvest your money in other outside assets, give your money to a financial advisor because we think that's going to procure the best outcome for you. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, for some businesses. In other cases, we have businesses that we look at and absolutely we can make a difference. And that process is, here's an engagement agreement. The engagement is we're going to work together for a period of, and we try to get it done inside of 120 days. We have not been successful in doing that. And it's largely because we can only go at the pace of the business owner. But we during that time, what we want to do is identify and agree these are the objectives for the year. We set the goals and objectives, and then we start w- marching towards those objectives. And it can range anywhere from identifying, hey, we have to figure out another way to do business that reduces our working capital number. And in some businesses, we talk about that, and they say, well, the market won't allow us to do it. We start talking about, we really put, ask a lot of questions about why is that so? What if we did this? What if we did that? And the business owners are the expert of their business and also of their industry. All we are is another set of eyes and actually questioning why practice has been done a certain way. 
because oftentimes there are new opportunities that will arise out of that. So our guest today, uh, Diane Thomas, uh, president uh, designated broker for Premier Sales. Uh, we're not done yet, Diane, so stick around. But we're uh, you can reach Diane at Premier Sales AZ. That's Premier Sales AZ, as in Arizona.com, uh, for a complimentary consultation. Diane, let's talk a little golf. I know you're a massive golfer. There you go. Your face just lights up here. We've <laughs> got two phenomenal weekends coming up here. We've got the Solheim Cup in Spain. We've got the Ryder Cup in Europe. Uh, first of all, how's your golf game? I always ask you that. How are you? Oh, playing? it has not been going well. I went to Durango <laughs> and played, and in Arizona, we really don't have rough. We have dirt, yes. and I'm really good out of the dirt. I'd rather have the rough. <laughs> oh my gosh! Let me tell you, when I found out that in the rough, it's really going to only be an iron or a hybrid. I took a a wood, thinking I could get it out. Oh, it was awful. Oh, no. Absolutely awful. But phenomenal weather. Ah, yeah, Woods would be good for beating on the snakes out there. But who's your pick in the uh, the Solheim Cup? You like the U.S. team or the uh, the international team? Europe. I like the U.S. team. Okay. I what think about, the U.S. team. What good. about the men's? I mean, I'm a little bit uh, the, the the international team there seems uh, quite deep, but so does the U.S. team. It does. I'm not happy with some of the picks of the U.S. team on the yeah. men's. There are two people that. Yeah, there's two people that I don't think deserve to be on there that two others did deserve. So I'll just say who I thought deserved to be on there. Mm -hmm. And that was um, Glover. I yeah, Lucas Glover. I said that the yeah. same. Yeah, you had two wins coming down the stretch along with Keegan yeah. Bradley, right? I know. And Keegan Bradley. Exactly. Yeah. Those are the yeah. two I would have put on the team. Um, and um, number one, they're good guys. I think they are playing lights out. They've elevated their game. And I and I think that they would go with momentum. So those are my yeah. two. Picks. Yeah, and the uh, the international men's team, uh, the European men's team, left uh, Adrian Moronk, the Polish player, off, and he had won uh, I think three times in the last eighteen months. So a little bit of golf trivia there for you, folks. Uh, our guest today again has been Diane Thomas. Diane is the president of Premier Sales here in her. Uh, good friend and partner Joe Scheid also run Legacy Advisors Arizona. Uh, you can uh, you can find Diane at premiersalesaz.com. If you're looking to sell your business, if you're looking to maximize the value of your business, and if you're really looking for some just uh, really good advice on how to improve your business, I could not recommend Diane strongly enough. She's become a very good friend, one of the brightest people that I've met in my career over the last uh, 15, 20 years. So, Diane, I want to thank you very much for being on Finish Big. Last but not least, I know this. Uh, they used to call you, was it the Dragon Lady for your uh, love of motocross sports? Is that right? Yes, that is correct. So my yeah. my dirt bike, I have a photo of it on my wall. <laughs> I still love, I, I really do miss riding um, out in the desert, largely because it's just so much fun. It's sure. the best thing you can do on two wheels, the best thing you do outside of the bedroom. So I'm all for it. I love it. <laughs> you know? Well, great. Great, Diane. Thank you for being on uh, Finish Big. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host of the Finish Big podcast, Mark Dorman. Have a great day, and here's to Finishing Big. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman from Legacy Business Advisors. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes are available. Learn more at LegacyBusinessAdvisors.com or call 330-350-5410. Please be aware the information in these podcasts represent the views and opinions of our guests and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of legacy business advisors. The content is for informational and educational purposes only. 
The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax or legal advice. Always seek the advice of your legal or tax professional with any questions regarding your specific situation.